This Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast is brought to you by RSA Security. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, visit rsa.com. This is the Security Ledger Podcast, and I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this spotlight episode of the podcast... The beginning of RSA, and it started off with you know, three people, right? Ravesh Shamir and Edelman. And the one thing that's remained constant, despite all the trials and tribulations, the acquisitions, the growth, is that RSA continues to be eponymous with the three founders who really saw possibilities where others didn't, and who kept persevering in the face of tremendous odds when others would have quit long ago. And that, to me, for our future, is going to be the hallmark of the new RSA. 38 years after it was founded, RSA Security is embarking on what may be its most challenging journey yet as the world's oldest and maybe largest cybersecurity startup. The company, which was acquired by the storage giant EMC back in 2006 and then became part of Dell when that company acquired EMC in 2015, is re-emerging this week as an independent company for the first time in 14 years. This, more than six months after it was acquired by a group of investors led by Symphony Technology Group. So what does independence look like for one of the information security industry's most storied firms? And what will RSA do with its newfound freedoms? To find out, we invited Zulfikar Ramzan, RSA's chief technology officer, into the Security Ledger studio. In this conversation, I speak with Zuli about how RSA's path forward is informed by the company's pioneering past, going all the way back to 1977, when three MIT researchers, Ron Rivest, Adi Shamir, and Leonard Edelman, published research on a novel public key crypto system that took their name, RSA. To start off our conversation, I asked Zulfikar to talk about RSA's earliest days and what messages he and other company executives take from the company's origins almost four decades ago. Zulfikar Ramzan, Chief Technology Officer, RSA. We couldn't be more excited about the opportunity to be an independent company. Again, as you know, for many years, RSA was independent, really from its founding until it was acquired by EMC. Uh, and then for many years, we were part of a bigger entity. And I think one thing that's really exciting is the idea that we can now take control of our destiny. We can focus on the key areas that we think are important for the security industry and reclaim our spot as the premier vendor in that space. It's something RSA has held on to for many years. The strength of the brand on its own is phenomenal. Not just the company, but the algorithm, the history, all the pieces that go behind it. It is a pretty amazing history. Uh, Three academics uh, at MIT who, you know, invented the uh, RSA encryption algorithm. And I know, obviously, that's that's kind of your area of expertise. Talk about what the impact of that was. In in some, I mean, some people might point to that as really the birth of the modern uh, cybersecurity, information security industry. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree, Paul. If you go back and the algorithm was invented in 77, actually April 77 is when the initial technical report was written. 
Uh, it was Ron Rivest, Adi Shamir, Len Edelman, RSNA. You know, with the time, you have to go back and, and think about what the world was like in 1977. You know, at that time, the idea of the academic community even working on cryptography was outlandish. I mean, it was almost a fool's mission at, at multiple levels. Number one, you were competing against the federal government, which had a head start in R&D and way more resources. Uh, number two, there was a real question of whether the research you did would see the light of day or whether it was going to be forced to be classified. Remember, all this stuff has significant national security implications. And there was a real risk that the government wouldn't allow a private company to work on these areas and advance it further. And then finally, there were, there were technical limitations. Today, I can run the RSA algorithm on a split second on my smartphone. It wouldn't be an issue. But if you go back to 77, the, you know, Ron, I remember, had to actually build or design custom hardware, uh, VLSI chips, to actually be able to implement the RSA algorithm correctly. And even their first version didn't work. I mean, they tried to spend all this time optimizing this, this uh, VLSI layout, and they sent it off for fabrication. The first version came back, and didn't work. And, and so they had to do a lot of work uh, on, on all these very basic issues that today we take for granted, but I think at that time were pretty profound. Yeah. I mean, 77, obviously the height of the Cold War and, and encryption was all tied up with, you know, spycraft and the, mm-hmm. you know, competition between, you know, the Soviet Union, then the Soviet Union and the United States and, and other nations around, uh, protecting classified information, signals intelligence, that type of thing. Right. And for many years, I mean, cryptography was classified the same way that physical arms were, like, you know, machine gun and, and a cryptographic algorithm were considered the same thing from a certain legal perspective. Uh, and so there were a lot of issues around how you could even export cryptography. If you actually worked on cryptography in the U.S. and came up with an algorithm in the U.S., uh, you weren't allowed to export that code or export that capability outside the U.S. if it uh, fail to meet certain criteria, and and I mean, just think about that for a moment. I mean, that that was a uh, uh, that wasn't that long ago, and every now and then, I think these these issues do resurface. Uh, but there were again some major uh, fundamental hurdles. But I think when you look at what what this technology enabled, it's just pretty remarkable. Just you know, you go back and and think of the earliest of the internet, right? So seventy seven, the internet was existed, but people weren't using it the way we do it the way we do today. And I would say, kind of in the nineties we began to see this pivotal movement of the internet into the mainstream. And I think what drove that movement was the idea of electronic commerce. All of a sudden, you could enable people to buy and sell goods online, and that created entirely new business models. What really enabled electronic commerce at a fundamental level was the ability to conduct secure and trustworthy transactions. If I can't trust you over the internet, there's no way I'm going to transact with you. Trust is the foundation of modern commerce. It's the foundation of society moving. And what RSNA did is effectively with their algorithm enabled trust on the internet. They essentially were able to usher in a brand new era of digital transformation. And that's just an amazing accomplishment. And it's, it's easy to lose sight of that fact when you know, you're making a purchase on Amazon every day. We're not thinking about the dizzying array of mathematical computations that make that transaction a reality. And if we take a moment to step back and, and think about that element, it is quite profound. You're listening to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast. This Spotlight podcast is sponsored by RSA Security. So, I mean, I think one one of the things that you see a lot in the information security space, Zilli, and I'm sure you'd agree, is that uh, companies and technologies emerge to solve discrete problems, right? Whether that's fraud or identity or, you know, intrusions or data leak or what have you. And that's just been a pattern for forever. But, of course, companies don't need lots of different products. They need a few products that 
kind of talk to each other and integrate well. Um, talk just a little bit. I mean, so RSA looked at one way, has some discrete products and identity and fraud and threat detection and, and information management and so on. But talk about how these products kind of fit together and like the the sort of holistic view of, of RSA's solution. Right. When I think about security in the in the broadest terms, right, it's it starts off with the idea of of risk, right? It's it's really about starting off and saying, how am I going to mitigate and manage my risk? And obviously that's an area where, where RSA Archer plays a strong role. Uh, and and when you think about it at a more fundamental level, though, if you want to really understand risk, if you want to be able to measure and assess risk, you need visibility because you cannot measure or assess what you cannot see. And there we have essentially RSA NetWitness really playing a strong role in providing some of the visibility that can help fuel RSA Archer. Now, visibility on its own is necessary, but not sufficient. To be able to do anything meaningful, you have to start off with being able to glean meaningful insights from that visibility that you've gathered. And that's really again, where some of our analytical capabilities comes in. So the net witness, we have user behavior analytics. We have a whole bunch of, of capability that we've, we've implemented over the years and being able to glean insights from data. And that, by the way, that's a challenge on its own. It's not just about collecting a bunch of data and trying to analyze it. You've got to collect the data with the idea of being able to analyze it in the right time later on. And we've seen a lot of companies make that mistake where they've gathered data and then they try to analyze it later, but they struggled because they didn't think about analytics as part of their overall data pipeline initially. And then finally, you have to think about what actions am I going to take against the insights I've gleaned? And that's where, again, we, we have with the NetWitness these capabilities that enable our customers to do security orchestration, automation, and response. We have also the capability within RSA Archer of being able to do, again, workflow management across key incidents and really be able to tie that back to your overall security and risk posture. Uh, and so the pieces of the puzzle really fit together nicely because if I can take actions against the insights that I've gleaned, from the visibility I have, those actions come back in turn and allow me to reduce my risk. Now, um, one key piece of the puzzle in all that, and I think it's a core piece, is around identity management. And that's really where if you look at Secure ID, it provides a critical component to how I think, not just about risk, because initially you've got to think about who can access what, and that's part of your risk posture. And that's where some of our governance and lifecycle capabilities come into play. But more importantly, how do I take that data and feed it into the security operations center. And so we have this nice integration between NetWitness and SecureID that's called threat-aware authentication that enables the security operations center to see what's happening with respect to different identities. And then finally, even with the NetWitness and Archer, the capability of being able to look at incidents, being able to analyze them and take that risk-driven view from the onset. And so the nice thing is that each of these pieces fits together very nicely with the others. But I think more importantly, the way I look at RSA and our unique value proposition is that no matter what company you are, no matter what you do, you, you are at some point on your security journey. You're at some stage of your security journey. And I like to think that RSA is the one company that you can always come to that will help you get to the next step of that journey, whatever that next step happens to be for you and what's right for you at that moment in time. And we've continued to build on that legacy in the post-COVID-19 era. I think one area that's enabled us to be successful, and I think it's something I would tell to every customer out there and really every prospect, is that when you think about your vendors, Think about the ones who you want to form a trusted relationship, a trusted partnership with. Don't think about it in terms of transactional capabilities. Don't just think, think about it in terms of, I'm going to buy this and be done. Because we've seen more than ever, this, this, the idea of a partnership becomes even more critical when the times get tough. And you know who's going to be there by your side? Who's, who's the only one that's been there by your side for 40 years? And that answer is RSA. 
It's interesting. I mean, you said that you know businesses in general need to um, disrupt themselves and be and be um, prepared to uh, identify and and orient themselves and take advantage of changes in markets and changes in demand. I don't know if you could find a market where that's more true than information security over the last thirty years. And I know you've been in a number of different companies, um, and so you've seen this as well. It's just a continually the, the the rate of flux and change in information security is just breathtaking. That said, RSA is in this area of, uh, I mean, if we were to boil it down, kind of secure identity that has only become more important, I'd say, in the last 30 years. Um, and, and particularly now, we really talk about with, with cloud and, and, you know, as in the past few months, the shift to work from home, you know, identity is kind of the new perimeter, right? Um, your corporate perimeter is, is thousands of home offices, potentially. Talk just a little bit, if you could, how the challenge of securing identity um, has changed even just in the past decade and, and kind of how you see that story evolving um, going, going forward. Uh, you know, at a fundamental level, in, in a digital world, your digital identity is everything, right? It, it's really ultimately how you interact with, uh, with everybody around you in a, in a virtual setting. And so we've seen the stakes go up tremendously. I think at the same time, we've also seen a world where people are recognizing that, hey, passwords are, are really annoying, right? It's one thing about a few to memorize, and all of a sudden now people have hundreds and hundreds of passwords. I, I think I did the last check. I can't remember now the last time I checked, but even a couple of years ago when I did the last count, it was over a few hundred passwords that I had to keep track of. Uh, and so already, you know, we're seeing this, this traditional approach to authentication kind of break down. A lot of our focus has been on, you know, how do we reduce the friction in the user experience. We make identity something seamless. How do we make it so that it resembles what's going on in the real world? You know, when I see you in the real world, Paul, I, the first thing I say is not, you know, can you give me your driver's license and your, you know, code? I mean, I, I, I recognize you, right? And I, I may apply certain attributes and say, that's Paul and we're supposed to meet at this time. And, and that's how I know it's really you. Uh, and, and yet in the digital world, we don't apply those same principles. In the digital world, we, we have this whole complicated ceremony of, of, of credential exchange and, and key exchange and so on to establish identities. And I think there's a lot of interesting opportunity for us to take what we've learned in the physical world and make it apply more readily to the digital world. That's certainly an area we've invested in, in thinking about things like a risk engine for authentication, which has been a big area for RSA over the last few years. But I actually see this changing in, in many ways. Today, people have devices like smartphones, which can store credentials and can store a soft token application, or they can store a cryptographic key. Again, you go back 20 to 30 years ago, and there was no easy way for people to do that sort of thing. So all of a sudden, smartphones have enabled us to do authentication and identity management in an entirely new way. I think what the future is, is really starting with the identity, and you recognize it perfectly. It is in many ways, and although it sounds cliched, the identity is effectively the perimeter uh, in the future world. In fact, even in today's world, I would argue it's already the perimeter. And therefore, if it's so important, if it's, it's the tip of the spear, We've got to make sure identity is integrated into the overall security ecosystem. So one area we've very been very focused on and invested heavily in is the idea of the identity-aware security operations center. Can you bring in identity data into the security operations center? And this kind of goes with, with a broader notion that's been called a XDR, which is extended detection and response. In my mind, the real goal of XDR is that you want to have visibility across all your key assets. That X could stand for anything. It could be network, it could be endpoint cloud, IoT, edge. But one thing that X should also be is identity because that's really where everything ultimately falls down to. That's the common denominator across all these different areas.
It's another area where we've seen tremendous expansion, growth, and diversification within the information security space and in recent years, threat intelligence companies. If you were to say kind of what is RSA's unique value proposition around fraud and threat intelligence, and what role is that going to play going forward, given that it is very central to what security teams are interested in and, and investing in, um, how does RSA uh, build on uh, what it's already uh, you know, if you look in the in the current era with everybody going online, right, and you, you pointed that out earlier that we are supplanting many of our physical interactions with digital ones, right? We're doing a lot more online shopping. We are buying our groceries online and having them delivered. We're doing telemedicine. Uh, as people go more and more online, we are absolutely seeing an increase in attempted fraud. Um, it, it's just, it's one of the sad realities of our industry is that uh, we see a lot of the world's uh, most negative elements and some of the negative undercurrents that exist around us. You know, it's, it's a sobering idea that, that there are threat actors out there that will look to exploit what's going on. You know, we've really tried to shine is in, in a few areas. Number one, I think, is in building out probably the most comprehensive fraud and risk intelligence capability in the world in terms of understanding what fraud is happening, how it's being conducted, who the actors are um, involved in that fraud, uh, and then so on and so forth. We definitely have a lot of very deep intelligence in those spaces. I can't comment too much on, on the level of that intelligence, but I, I can assure you it's probably beyond what anybody else has in the world at this point. Uh, and even beyond that, I think uh, you know a lot of that intelligence is not something you can just kind of, that's not a field you can just jump into and, and suddenly have that insight. You have to have years of establishing yourself in underground communities and understanding where to look and what data to find. And it starts off with that in-depth fraud and risk intelligence we also were early adopters of using machine learning technology. And people talk about machine learning like it's this new thing and every startup is claiming like they've done it for the first time. RSA has had machine learning systems in production environments deployed successfully, providing value to customers for, I would say, a decade and a half at least. Um, and that's that's quite a statement. And, and that's not, I'm not just talking about, hey, I, I did some simple, I mean, this, these are real scenarios where we can show tangible value, real ROI for our customers using these techniques. Uh, and that's an area that we've certainly continued to improve upon as the fraud landscape changes. We've found new ways of, of improving our ability to detect fraud. We've also been focusing on on the idea of omni-channel fraud. You know, before fraud was, you know, hey, I went to my bank's website or I, I made a transaction online. Nowadays, people may be interacting in, in various capacities. My phone could be one channel and ATM could be another channel. Uh, you can have uh, yet a different channel if you have an IoT device making a transaction on your behalf, which we're seeing more and more of, like your smart fridge ordering milk for you, which is a canonical example. And so the world of transactions has changed at a fundamental level. And we've been there alongside with these changes. And I think to your point earlier around disrupting yourself, it really is about understanding where the world is going, recognizing there are moments of discontinuity, and being able to ride those waves of discontinuity into the next era of that particular area. And we were absolutely seeing that in the context of online fraud detection. And some of that same intelligence can be applied more broadly into what's going on internally for organizations. You know, we do think that to a certain degree, we will see this convergence of identity between your sort of external identity and your enterprise identity.
specifically related to you know RSA's mission and technology and information security in general? What, what do you think the market's going to look like, and and um, how's RSA kind of planning on um, you know turning lemons into lemonade, as it were? I think the market is ripe for opportunity right now. Paul, to your point earlier, you know we are seeing a world in which spending on digital has gone up. Uh, and as a fraction of that security spending has gone up, I think even more as a fraction of overall IT spend. And so, you know, I think we, we recognize today more than ever that the stakes are incredibly high. And one of the things I think that, that's been just inspiring to watch over the last few months is, is you know, RSA, as you know, it's, it's a well-known brand name. We've been around in the industry for a long time. And, and to see all of our customers come to us in their moment of need and say, look, we, we need you to help us. You know, we've got you know, 5,000 people that we have to enable in a remote workforce. Actually, the, the biggest thing was 7,000 we got on a if we got a call on a Saturday saying, can you enable 7,000 people to work remote by Monday? You know, talk about the challenge that that represents. But the fact that our customers trusted us to come to them in this time of need and that we were able to deliver in kind. And, you know, when we talk about these things, you know, it's, it's not just an authenticator here or security token there. You take a step further in and you look at the problems our customers are trying to solve. Many of these customers are solving incredibly important problems for society. They're literally advancing human progress. You know, they're thinking about the future of the world. Some of them are working on vaccines. Some of them are thinking about how to take care of patients uh, in, in a COVID-19 settings. Others are, are just working on these incredible areas. And to be there and help provide the trustworthiness, the capabilities they need to conduct their job most effectively allows us to effectively be a catalyst for human progress. And, and there can be no deeper and more profound mission and our ability to accelerate that mission in the new era where we can really focus on innovating in key areas where we can be much more nimble, where we can respond to the needs of our customers. I mean, I can tell you that we are just, I, I can't tell you how excited I am at, at that prospect. And, and I go back to the beginning and you talked, we started off this conversation around the beginning of RSA and it started off with, you know, three people, right? Ravesh Shamir and Edelman. And the one thing that's remained constant despite all the trials and tribulations, the acquisitions, the growth in different areas is that RSA continues to be eponymous with the three founders who really saw possibilities where others didn't and who kept persevering in the face of tremendous odds when others would have quit long ago. And that to me, for our future, is gonna be the hallmark of the new RSA. It's gonna to be to continue that legacy of innovating in key areas, of finding key problems to solve, and to be relentless about trying to provide value for our customers in an era where it matters more than ever. Zulfikar Ramzan, Chief Technology Officer at RSA. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us again on Security Ledger Podcast. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much, Paul. Zulfikar Ramzan is the Chief Technology Officer at RSA Security. He was here to talk to us this week about RSA's reemergence as an independent security technology company. You've been listening to a spotlight edition of the Security Ledger Podcast sponsored by RSA Security. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, visit rsa.com.